right. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Um, if you're out there online, uh, in here in house, if it's your first time catching us, or maybe it's been a while, first time in a long time, I love seeing faces that we haven't seen in a while. I know you're still a part of our family, but it feels like going home for Thanksgiving. Who here is going home for Thanksgiving or going to grandma's house or going to maybe aunt's house or mom's house, something like that? A lot of us are, and I look at it that way. I look like we're a family. We're a small church. We're a community church. And so when you heard Pastor Gabe talk about the survey that we've got out there, it's important to us. If you go to grandma's house or, or mom's house for Thanksgiving, what makes you feel special? Other than the fact that your family is gathered around you when she makes that one certain kind of stuffing that you love or makes that one certain kind of gravy that you just have to have. It makes it feel like home. We want this to feel like your home. So when we put out this survey saying, what do you like, what you don't like, what you want, we're going to let the Holy Spirit guide us. That's number one in what we do. But we want to know what matters to you. We want you to know what would make this more comfortable, more feel like more home to you. So please take the time. It's not one of those surveys like, I made a joke earlier, but it's so true. I bought case of toilet paper for the church off of Amazon. And then within a day, I got a survey from Amazon saying, so how's that working out for you? Like, really? About, okay. It was as advertised. It performed its function. I don't know what else you can say. But this survey is more than that. We want to know, and it matters. So take the time, if you can, and fill that out for us. If you didn't get a link, don't have a link, you're not on our newsletter, let us know before you go, and we'll be sure and get you on there, because, again, because it matters. So, all right, so let's get going. Welcome, everybody, again. Um, something cool has been happening. You know, churches have sister churches in the same city, in the same town, in the same state, and, and that's very common, and we do, too. But something is happening uh, in, in the country of Africa for us. We've got the church in Tanzania. Uh, I've got another one in Kenya, or in, uh, yeah, in Kenya. Um, got one in Mozambique. Uh, I've got one in Ghana. Uh, in Africa, something is happening in Africa where those preachers and those churches are reaching out to us and partnering with us and just becoming, there's something cool that's happening in Africa. So if you get the chance just lift them up in prayer that just God would just move mightily in that place. And I know that he is, but there's also a lot of pockets of darkness in there that need to be overcome, just like there are here. So, But we, we love hearing that. So let's get into the message. Um, <clears throat> we are in the Gospel of Mark, and I title it Jesus the Servant Messiah. The reason I did that is because the whole Gospel of Mark, each Gospel has its own reason for being written, its own focus, its own emphasis but the Gospel of Mark, man, I love it. It's just, it's just cut and dried, not a whole lot of fluff. It's just bam, 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 this happened, this happened, this happened. And as I've said before, the whole point of that is not to draw attention to the miracles. The miracles are amazing, especially if you're a blind man that had your sight you know, healed. That's a huge thing in your day. That's just made your life. But it's more so just to draw attention to the source of that power, the source of those miracles. And of course, that's that's Jesus. When we last checked in, so we're in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark, and the last thing that we saw was Jesus had chosen uh, Matthew as his disciple. They had a little shindig at Matthew's house, and then they went out. 
just about everywhere that Jesus stops walking, somebody's going to challenge him and give him a hard time for the way that he's teaching or the way that he's living his life, the way that he's doing his ministry. And this is no different. So after leaving the the get-together with Matthew there, they start traveling around the country. And one of the first things he does, he teaches this parable or series of parables that we talked about last week um, about the groom's attendants fasting. Remember, they're challenging them, like, why, why are your attendants not fasting? Why are your disciples not fasting? Here we are being all holy, and why are you not doing that? And they're challenging him. And he teaches this series of parables about the groom's attendants and talking about the groom's, the groom's attendants don't fast while they're with him. That's a time to celebrate. That's a time to be joyous. There will be a time for fasting, but it's not now. Now's the time to be joyous. And then he adds two more parables about sewing a new patch onto old clothing. And we know that that is hard to, hard to reconcile, rarely works. And then the new wine into the old wineskins. And they're all parables, but the reason, the point behind them all is you're trying to take this new thing that Jesus Christ is offering, this new covenant, and you're trying to apply that to all that you think you know about Old Covenant, Old Testament, Old Time law, and they're not working. This thing of Jesus is about heart. It's about grace. It's about mercy. And you're trying to apply that to the law, and it's, it's a hard fit. It's a round peg into a square hole, and it's, they're having a hard time with it. So the, these Pharisees, if you don't know who Pharisees are, Pharisees were this whole sect of super religious Jews who would, basically they were the keepers of the law. It was their job to watch people around them, to watch people in the synagogue, watch people in the temple, and make sure that they did everything by the letter of the law as good as they possibly could. Now when I say letter of the law, they don't care about Roman law or anything. They're talking about what scripture says. Okay, and we call it Old Testament, but to them, it was just the law. There was no old and new at that time. It was just the law. And so they're saying, we need to follow the law as best we can, because if not, God's going to have a problem with us. So they're trying to avoid that. That's their point. They're not necessarily evil people, but they're having a hard time reconciling Jesus with what they think they know. But they, the Pharisees now, are nothing if not determined. So they're following Jesus around. And at this point, at where we are in Scripture right now, the Pharisees are at this point where they're like, we've heard him say some things that we're not quite on board with, and we're not sure what he means there. But then we've also heard him teach some really insightful things. This new rabbi named Jesus that we're trying to figure out who he is, we're not really sure yet what to think about him. But what they're doing is following him around. So they're kind of, I just picture them like skulking in the, in the woods, like looking out behind buildings. Every time Jesus opens his mouth or says something, they're trying to watch, like, what's he saying and what does he mean? Because they're trying to decide, is this the best teacher we've ever known or is this guy a heretic? Is he somebody that we need to, we need to, to eliminate? They're hoping at some point that he's going to give them the rope they can use to hang him with. So they're hanging out and kind of the peripheral just watching. <clears throat> and this week, 
This week is no different. So if you've got, if you're looking and following along in your Bible, some Bibles have little headings. This one is called Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, is how a lot of Bibles will kind of uh, break out the section they're talking about. That's not scripture, that's just we put that in there so we kind of know what we're talking about. I'm going to explain to you where we're, where we're headed here. Jesus and his disciples now, they had, they had gone through these miracles, they had gone through the banquet, the questioning things, but they had left there now, and they're walking around the area of the Galilee. They'd left Capernaum, left town, and they're just walking around the countryside, and he's teaching people that he comes across, and he's gathering groups. Every time he stops, he gathers a group, and then he'll walk to the next little village, um, and he's teaching all along the way. So that's what's happening here. Again, these Pharisees and their spies are kind of like skulking around in the shadows, sort of watching him to, to see what he's doing. And so that's where we pick up. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. We've got it on the, on the screen up here. And it happened that he, he being Jesus, it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. So here's what's happening. They're just walking through. Again, they're traveling from town to town. There were major roads. We wouldn't call them major, but at that time, there were major roads. And alongside of each road would typically be farm fields, but sometimes they had to cut across, and they would do that. So as they're cutting across, the picture here is as Jesus and his disciples are cutting through one of these fields, they are picking the heads off the grain. Now, if you have the King James Version, it's, I think it says corn. But we don't know that it's corn or wheat or what it is. Probably it was wheat because of the time and the place. It was most likely wheat. But what they're doing is they're just picking heads off, and they're just like sunflower seeds, kind of just picking them off. They pull the chaff off and and eat it. Just a little bit of nourishment, a little bit of a snack as they walk along. Not really a big deal. But here's the problem. That scripture points out specifically he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a big deal to these Pharisees. Now, it's still a big deal. It should still be a big deal in our culture. We'll teach about that a whole nother day. But to the Jews in this time, the Sabbath was really, really taken seriously. In fact, it was the fourth. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? The Sabbath is commandment number four. It's way up there. It's way up there. In fact, it's even before murder, adultery, and theft. That's how importantly they took it. Now, let me read where they get this idea of the Sabbath. It's from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. I'll read it to you so you can just listen to what's going on. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave, or your cattle or your resident who stays with you. That's important. Remember that part. He's saying, thou shalt do no work. Not anybody near you. Nobody's going to do it for you. No one should do any work. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's where the idea of the Sabbath came from. Now, God took that idea so seriously that he poured out his wrath on the nation of Israel for ignoring the Sabbath, for ignoring it. Now, here's what it says. 
Ezekiel, again, Old Testament scripture, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 13, says, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes and they rejected my ordinance, which if a person follows them, then he will live by them. And they greatly profaned my Sabbaths. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. Yikes. Does that sound harsh to anybody? The whole idea of the Sabbath, it tells you, you shouldn't do any work. You should rest. You should keep that as a holy day. And here he's saying, they didn't do that, so I, I resolved to pour out my wrath on them. Who here has children? If you put them down for a nap and say, I need you to take a nap because it's good for you. If they don't take a nap and they won't go to sleep and they're running around, who here as a parent's going to go, I resolved to pour out my wrath on you. Now, you might think it, but you're not going to say that to a child. You're not going to say that. So it seems harsh. But think about this. The very next verse in Ezekiel kind of explains the heart behind that statement. Ezekiel 20, verse 14 says, But I acted for the sake of my name, so that it would not be defiled before the eyes of the nations, before whose eyes I had brought them out. So we say, I, I, being God, brought the Israelites out of captivity. I provided for them. I did all these things, and I asked them to take a day. Take a day to rest, to recharge, but even more importantly than that, to trust in me. To trust that it, you're not going to go out and harvest, you're not going to go out and do all these things, but I am going to provide for you. I, the Lord your God, am going to provide for you. And that's going to make you different than the nations around you. That's going to make you look different. It might make you look a little silly, but it's going to make you different. When the nations see that I have provided for you because you rested like I told you to, I have provided for you. That's the whole point of this. The Sabbath was meant to set the Israelites apart from the pagans. But here's the thing. The God of mercy is also by necessity a God of wrath. Has to be. Mercy without consequences is meaningless. You can't, no matter how much you love your child, you can't just say, anything goes, whatever you want to do. There has to be consequences. So wrath, the word wrath can just sound like how could a loving God even use the word wrath with us? It's because he's a loving God that there is that consequence for disobeying what we're supposed to do. Now, that kind of wrath, that, that, that wrath being poured out on the nation of Israel is exactly what the Pharisees are working so hard to avoid. It's why they're working so hard to make sure everybody does what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Now, they're doing a horrible job at making sure that people are doing all those things. Nobody could fulfill all the laws, but they're sure trying. And more than even making sure that they do, they're trying to make sure that you do. They're following you around, making sure that you do. But they're working so hard to follow the letter of the law that they have completely lost track of the heart behind it. And if we know nothing about Jesus, it's that he's always going to challenge where your heart is. The letter of the law is one thing, that's important, but where your heart is is even more important. 
So Jesus challenges them right back in this. But let's listen to the way. This is what's happening. They're walking through the fields. They're picking heads of grain, and they're eating them. And here's the challenge. Mark 2.24, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So I picture one of them just coming up and tapping Jesus on the shoulder and saying, why are you allowing that? They're your disciples. This is the Sabbath. That's illegal what they're doing. They shouldn't be doing that. Now, side note here, Jewish law given to Moses right along with the Ten Commandments and everything else says that practice is actually okay. It specifically addresses doing that. And the reason for is hospitality and mercy to those who are traveling. That's the reason behind it. So let me read you the scripture that comes from. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 23. Verses 24 and 25. So chapter 23, verse 24, 25. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat grapes until you're satisfied, but you are not to put any in a basket. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand, but you are not to use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So neighbors, by the way, would be fellow fellow Hebrews. Okay, They're not saying you can go and just take from the pagans all you want. This is your neighbors, fellow fellow Hebrews, and it's okay to do that. Now, it's important to note that they're saying, hey, you can you go into the vineyard, you can pick a grape off and eat it. You can, you can do that. If you're hungry, by all means, you can do that. But it says don't take a basket. So don't fill it up. Don't hoard. Don't go to excess. Go either go sell it or make wine or, or save some for later. But it's, yes, take advantage of the hospitality. Same thing with the grain. It's saying you can pluck the heads of grain, but don't thresh them. So don't cut them off. Don't harvest your neighbor's grain. That's exactly what that's saying here. But the Pharisees, in typical Pharisee fashion, had decided that plucking a head of grain constituted work. So remember, they're trying to reconcile what they're seeing here and the law that says you can pluck a head of grain, but also with the Sabbath. So this might have been okay any other day of the week, but on the Sabbath day, Sabbath says you shouldn't do any work. So they're trying to say, okay, there's these hungry travelers and they need something, but, and it says they can pluck grain, but today's Sabbath. So no, you can't. You just have to go hungry on Sabbath. That's what they're trying to reconcile here. And they had interpreted the idea of plucking a head of grain as reaping. You think about it, if it's wheat, could be corn, could be wheat, but let's say it's wheat, you pluck a head of wheat off, if you've ever seen one, you have to pull off all the chaff to get down to the little kernel. And it's kind of like, almost like a sunflower seed. And you could then just eat that little kernel. But that act of plucking it and peeling it, they, they considered that work, right along with, with the idea of threshing. So that's specifically prohibited on the Sabbath, and yet it says you can do it. So again, they're looking at the letter of the law, and they're not applying any grace or any mercy to it. That idea is something that we all still struggle with today. The law says you can do this, or the law says you shouldn't do this, but I need to. In order to show love and grace and mercy, I need to sometimes bend or maybe interpret those laws a little differently. 
And it's hard for us. It's hard enough for us. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, which is the only way that you're ever going to be able to reconcile and interpret those two things. The Pharisees didn't have that. The Pharisees did not have the Holy Spirit. They had the written letter of the law, and that continues today to be a problem. Has anyone here ever been to Israel? Anybody ever been to Israel? If you've ever been to Israel, have you noticed that they have a special thing in any, any building that's got an elevator, they have a special thing there called a Shabbat elevator. Anybody ever seen one of those? When we went to Israel, we saw these all over the place, and you would see signs like this. Here's a sign. You'll see this posted on the elevators. And what it means is during this time, because that's the Sabbath, 4 p.m. Friday through 8 p.m. on Sunday, so basically sundown, Sundown is what they're looking for. And the elevators automatically go into this mode where they stop at every floor without you pushing a button. The whole idea is by, by the law that you're not supposed to do work, they've interpreted doing this as work. They've interpreted that as work. And so they've gone through and they've made all these provisions to where elevators now, including the tallest building in Israel, is the 24-story, 21-story Crown Plaza Hotel. The Crown Plaza Hotel has a, an elevator that if you're on the 21st floor, okay, you just walk up. You don't push the button to summon it. It's just going to come. So when it gets there, the door opens, you get in, and it will stop at every floor all the way down without you pushing a button. Because that's work. Now, you are, ironically, allowed by Jewish law to take the stairs. Tell me 21 stories of stairs is not more work than going like that. But that's an example of how the legalism gets into just not making logic. That's what it looks like. And that's a Shabbat elevator. Now, I started looking at examples of of different things like that. And I found one found one that struck me as humorous. I hope it does you too. Anybody seen those little rascal scooters that, that people drive around? Uh, just a little thing. Now, if you're elderly or maybe you're broken leg, some kind of a, of a handicap that makes it necessity for you to drive one of those scooters around. Well, they have those in Israel too. It's a first world country. They have those, but they have a special one for Shabbat. Let me show you this. The Shabbat Amigo. It's authorized for use on Shabbat. Every amigo is inspected and certified to be Shabbat friendly. Here's what it has. It has a, sub- a special switch. You can't see it because the, the, the resolution's not good. But it has a Shabbat versus normal switch. So the normal switch, it operates like a normal one. On Shabbat, though, here's what it does. This is from their own literature. So on Shabbat, apparently you'd wake up in the morning or maybe the night before you'd flip this switch. The scooter operates on the principle of indirect operation. The optional Shabbat module is available. A toggle switch changes operation from normal to Shabbat mode with no throttle lever activation by the rider. So you get on it, but you're not pushing a button, you're not giving it throttle, you're not giving it anything. The module's timing circuit sets the chair into idle motion after a short delay, approximately 10 seconds, satisfying the no work restriction on Sabbath. So what this means is if you have one of these, say you're in an in a assisted living facility or you're, or you're in your home and you need it to get around, 
you just go and sit on it. And when, as soon as you sit on it, after a 10-second delay, it will motor itself for 10 seconds. Okay, now you steer it. I'm assuming you still have to steer it. You do that for 10 seconds, and then it will stop for 10 seconds. And then it will motor for 10 seconds on its own. Can you imagine if you really had to go to the restroom and you're trying to get there and it's stopping every 10 seconds? This is funny to us. It's silly, but they take it seriously there. They are even today at the point where they are debating, they're debating things like this, the workaround of that, the workaround of the Shabbat elevators. And very prominent rabbis in Israel are still saying like, we think we're taking advantage of a loophole and we shouldn't be. We need to outlaw those things along with cell phone use, along with cars, buses, just about anything. Just about anything short of getting out of bed and maybe making yourself a sandwich is they're thinking should be outlawed because of the Sabbath rule. What they're failing to do is to apply any kind of grace or mercy or hospitality to the law. They're just looking at the letter of the law. And it was, it was then in the time of Jesus, as it is now, up to the keepers of the law to be able to reconcile what the letter of the law says versus what reality in many times dictates. And certainly what love and grace and mercy would then add on to that. And they couldn't do it then, and they can't do it now. The reason they can't do it is because the law is just lifeless words on paper. They need to be applied correctly before there's any life in them. And without that, all it is is just a deadly weapon to be used. That's all the law is unless you apply it correctly. And the problem is they then as now lack the key ingredient, the the special secret decoder ring, if you will, between the law and grace and mercy. Anybody know what that ingredient is? It's Jesus. Good answer. I've taught you well. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way that we can take the law and we can take grace and mercy and reconcile those two. Because one without the other, either way, is going to be chaos. A life of nothing but law brings death. A life of nothing but freedom brings death as well. We need to be able to reconcile those together. And Jesus is the only one that can do that for us. So going back to our scripture here, rather than, you know, Jesus is really good in parables, teaches in parables a lot. But this time, he's smart. Jesus is the best teacher there ever was by far. He recognizes like, you know what? I don't even need to tell a parable now in answer to your challenge to me. Why do I allow this? I'm going to remind you of something you should already know and let you reconcile it. He uses their hero, King David, as an example. And he says to them, so Mark 2.25, he says, he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and his companions became hungry? Say, first of all, Jesus asking one of the Pharisees, have you ever read the story of King David? They were like, "Uh, yeah, like a thousand times. Memorized it since the time we were children. Yes. Go ahead. Tell me something I don't know about the story of King David. Mark 2.26. 
how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it to those who were with him. Like, oh. So they have, they're starting to think now. Now they knew the scripture I'm talking about backwards and forwards. Let me share it with you and let you think about what's going on here. So this is out of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it to you and then kind of editorialize along the way. Then David came to Nob, which is a town, to Amalek the priest. And Amalek came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Now this is after David had been run out by Saul. And so I don't know if Amalek just knew of David by reputation or maybe he had heard that like, you're kind of a wanted guy right now. So he came trembling to him. So he'd heard of, heard of David and his exploits, but maybe not about the falling out with Saul. We don't know that for sure. But David said to Amalek the priest, listen to this. David said to Amalek the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, no one is to know anything about the matter on which I'm sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young man to a certain place. Okay, that's an outright lie. That is not at all what has happened. He's running from the king. The king didn't commission him to do anything. And David is looking the priest Amalek right in the face and lying to him. It's a lie of desperation, but that's what he does. Verse 3, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David. Now the priest is trying to figure out how to, how to work this. The priest answered David and said, there's no ordinary bread on hand, but there's consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. So he's making the assumption like you and your, you and your mighty men who have kind of a, carousing sort of reputation sometimes, I'm pretty sure you haven't kept yourself from women. The law says I could give you bread if they had, but we're pretty sure they haven't, so I don't have to give you bread. That's kind of where his mindset is right now. Levitical law actually said that you could eat consecrated bread, but only if you had abstained from lying with a woman for three days. The priest is making an assumption here that there's no way these guys could have abstained for that long. But David answers back. David answered the priest and said to him, Be assured, women have been denied to us, as previously when I left and the bodies of the young men were consecrated. Though it was an ordinary journey, how much more will their bodies be consecrated today? So he's telling the priest, like, look, this is a secret mission. Normally they would be consecrated, but even more because we're on this special secret mission from the king. King James Version, by the way, adds the words for three days just to make it clear that they're fulfilling that Levitical law requirement. So verse 6, so the priest gave him consecrated bread in response to his lie, gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, which was removed from its place before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day it was taken away. Here's how this worked. The bread of the presence in 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 the, the temple, they would put 12 loaves of bread there every single week. They put 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe of Israel. And at the end of the week, nobody would eat it. At the end of the week, it'd be stale. It'd be just sitting out there. So they would then remove that stale bread and replace it then 
with fresh bread. The stale bread was consecrated, but it had a very special procedure that you had to use, and only the priests could eat it. Now, they had fresh bread available to them, so they would make a show of eating a couple little stale pieces, and then who knows what they did with the rest. But you weren't allowed to just give consecrated bread to anybody. You couldn't do that. (coughs) So, by the way, if you follow along in these parallel versions, Matthew and Luke, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, don't mention Amalek at all. They don't mention him at all, the high priest here. I'm sorry, they don't mention Abathar. They mention Amalek. And Abathar was Amalek's son. And he later became a really good friend of David's. And so that's why one gospel might mention them and not because he was actually a friend of David's and much more important to the story that was going along. Just those of you who are Bible nerds and like to study that along, that's the reason why Abathar and Amalek are not always mentioned the same. So here's the point, though. In this dire circumstance of need, he's, he's on the lamb from the king who's trying to kill him. He lied. He flat out lied. Not only lied to the priest, but ate holy consecrated bread. It was out of necessity. Now, here's why this is, this is so important to what we're learning today. Imagine the Pharisees having this pounding migraine right now, having to try and reconcile. We're harping at Jesus for allowing his disciples to pick heads of grain and eat them. And our hero, David, not only lied flat out, but ate consecrated bread because without a doubt, they would have to be defending David. They couldn't even allow for the possibility that they wouldn't defend David. So right now, at this moment, their heads are pounding. Like, how do, how do we answer what he just said with what we're trying to accuse him of? Now Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, drops another truth bomb on them. Mark 2.27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What God had intended to benefit man, all the way back, it was to benefit man, to set them apart, had become a burden. Had become a burden, had become a source of division, infighting, accusations, just like they're seeing right now. It had become a problem. The Pharisees had become such slaves to the law that they couldn't imagine a possibility of being set free by it. Many people struggle with that same idea today. Now, if you're into reading those parallel accounts, the same thing, look at Matthew 12, 7. Jesus answers them a little bit differently. He says, but if you had known what this means, and he quotes Old Testament, he quotes Hosea 6, 6. He says, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. He's telling them, you know the scriptures. You've studied it. You think you know what it means, but you're not applying it to situations like this. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. So all of this, all of this up until this point could have been considered, that's given the Pharisees something to think about because that's happened in synagogue all the time. That's the way synagogue worked. It wasn't just led by one teacher. People could come and they could bring up issues and topics and they would debate and they would talk about it. And they, like scripture says this, now how do we live that out in our lives? So there was a lot of back and forth. So listening to Jesus here, they probably, they probably were just going, he's got some good points. We're not sure we like him yet. 
but he's got some good points. Then, though, the last scripture we're going to share in this part for today, he, he does the unforgivable. Mark 2.28, he says this to them, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Doesn't sound like a big statement to us. It might seem like uh, it's not a big deal. But here's what they would have known. God established the Sabbath. We know that. He established it in his law. And no man can take authority over and above God's law. Okay, they know that. Everybody agrees on that. But they also know that Jesus said he was the Son of Man. So what he's saying right here is Jesus is making a declaration. I and the, God, I and the Father God are one. Jesus is saying, I am God. That's not a forgivable statement in the eyes of the Pharisees. No more. For the whole rest of Mark that we'll be going through in future weeks, there's no longer any question, this guy's got to go. This guy's a problem, and he's got to go. Starting with next week, we'll start hearing how they plot his demise. Now, let's put this together. Let's wrap up and conclude it by this. I just... It just rings so true to me that what God intends for a blessing, we just as human beings have a way to turn it into a burden. Without fail, something that was meant to give freedom, we will find a way to twist it and make it something that just chains us to something old. God instituted this to be a blessing, the the idea of the Sabbath, to set his people apart and to be a tangible sign, something that nations around could see. Look, The Israelites are keeping the Sabbath. They're shutting down businesses. They're not doing any work. They're doing nothing. And they're trusting in God for provision. They're trusting that he's going to take care of them. What a visible act of faith that totally sets them apart from their neighbors. That's what it was meant to be. But the Pharisees had turned this into a burden. And in the same way, let's bring it home to today, right here, right now. We're not Pharisees, but there are so many people that live under this legalistic, Pharisaic kind of a mindset where we look at the law and we apply it to our lives. We look at the law and we say, we need to follow that first. And if we can be loving on top of that, then that's great. But first and foremost, let's follow the law. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is so often seen as being a burden, not as freedom, not as life. And the reason is, not because of what Scripture says. It's because of Christians. It's because Christians say, you have to follow this list of rules. You can come to church where we all gather together and we encourage and we support one another, but dress the right way, say the right things, act the right way. All these rules, all these laws, and there's not freedom in it. So why would you want to be a Christian? Why would you want to come to a place where you not only have to do all the right things, but more importantly, maybe, you're submitting yourselves to others who are going to judge you? I'm putting myself in a place to be judged. Why would I do that? That kind of gospel is not attractive. That kind of gospel is not going to draw people in. The world operates in pure freedom with with no law applied. We should not operate in law with no freedom applied. That's why we need Jesus. It's the only way. 
that those things can be, rec- can be reconciled. I call it death by religion. Jesus came to bring us life, specifically his life given for us on the cross. That's what Jesus did. And when we reject that, here's how we reject that. Nobody says, I reject what Jesus did. Very few people do that. What we do, though, is we live like we're still slaves to the law. We still live like not only are we tied to this law and this old thing, but it's our job and our responsibility somehow to judge others and make sure they're doing it too. Sure, I know I struggle with it, but I can sure point out what's wrong with you. When we act like that, we're rejecting what Jesus did for us. We're serving the law and not loving his children. That's, that's what the gospel is about. When we talk about worshiping, there is a right and a wrong way to worship him. The wrong way to worship him is to say, we need to follow the letter of the law as strictly as we can possibly do. And better yet, call out when other people aren't. That's the wrong way. Here's the right way. We live our lives like a sinner who has been set free by Jesus. That's the proper way to worship him. We live our life in humility. We live our life in thankfulness, in love, in compassion, and in service for others. That is what living a life that honors what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what that life looks like. And it won't always be easy. Living a life like that is not always easy. In fact, we're told it's always going to be hard. But that burden, the burden of reflecting who Jesus is to a world who so desperately needs him, that burden, that's our burden to carry. But that burden is light because he's walking that burden with you. And he'll give you everything you need to share the gospel of who he is to this world. And that is our job, not to apply the law to people around us, to beat them with a club, but to share the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus into this world to be our example. To be our example of how to apply love and mercy to the law. To give us freedom within the law and around the law, but to take our eyes off of the law and put them on him. We thank you that through the Holy Spirit, we can now reconcile what is right and what is good and what is true. And Lord, help us to apply that grace and apply that mercy in the way that you would intend it. It's not anything goes. It's truth. It's truth applied with grace and mercy. So help us, Lord. Help us to keep our hearts in that place of first and foremost, loving one another. Let us reflect that to the world around us. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to take communion together now. If you're out there online, anywhere you are, grab some elements, whether whatever you have that represents the blood and represents the body in-house here. We have at the crosses, we have elements you could serve yourself. We have bread and gluten-free crackers, and then there's juice there. You could serve yourself if you like up front here. Pastor Gabe and myself will serve you. We have wine and bread up there. And you just dip the bread in the wine or in the juice and take it that way.
But when we do it, it's not just a mechanical, this is just a thing that we do. We are doing it each time we do it. We say, Lord, I recognize what you did for me. I recognize your sacrifice on the cross, and you did that so that I could be reconciled to the Father. So I'm thankful for that, and I'm saying yes to the mission you have given me, to go and make disciples, to love the Lord your God first, and then to love one another. That's where it all starts, and that's where it all ends. Salvation is not just about fire insurance. It's so that we can bring others to the love of Christ. That's our job. And every time we take communion, we say yes to that charge from Jesus. So as we do that, you can move around. The worship team's gonna play on. You can start moving around. We have prayer team in the back. If you need prayer, look for somebody with a lanyard. They'll pray with you for anything you need prayer for. Maybe you just sit in your seat and just pray yourself. Lord, show me those areas where I've been beating somebody over the head with law and I need to apply more love. But most of all, it's a prayer of thanks for who he is and who he sees us to be. Amen. Thank you, guys.